introducing Minor Wisdom Quintet. So this week, guys, I have Rachel Maddox on the podcast. I've known of Rachel for quite a long time because I taught with Pam Wilson in KDISD, and Rachel and Pam are uh, very tight, and she uh, has uh, she taught at Taylor High School for a very long time in KD, and Pam was uh, in KDISD for a while. So I knew of Rachel Maddox for a while, and now Rachel is adjudicating uh, and enjoying retirement and just kind of living her best life. So uh, I knew I wanted to get Rachel on at some point, so I did get her on while I was on spring break. Now, I am not in this podcast business to be uh, lucrative. I'm not here to make money. I'm here selfishly to give you conversations of me talking with people that I selfishly want to get to know. Uh, That said, about this particular interview, Xfinity, you suck. Um, I don't expect you to Uh, be a sponsor on this podcast anytime soon you don't need me and I sure as hell don't need you although maybe I actually do need you because you'll hear some sound issues happening in this particular interview and it has nothing to do with me it has nothing to do with Rachel it has everything to do with my internet connection at the time and so I apologize for kind of the mix Uh, of this sound of this podcast and I know I just made that excuse I believe last week or two weeks ago or whatever but for two interviews uh, yes for last week with Travis Poe for two interviews it has now been an issue and I'm not happy about it but uh, it is what it is so I apologize when it kind of changes you might have to hit that dial uh, wherever you're listening and I know the term hit that dial is a dated term for you. Uh, To those of you that advanced to region, congratulations. I think as I record this, there are some people competing today. Uh, Also, as I record this, uh, we're we're wrapping up the the t-shirt sales that uh, support the fight against uh, Parkinson's disease, Parkinson's syndrome. Those people that contributed and purchased a shirt. I appreciate you so very much. Uh, If you're listening to this on Sunday, April 4th on Easter, uh, on the way to church, maybe on the way back from church, I don't know. I'm not going to church. (laughs) I'm Jewish. It's the end of Passover. Thanks for all your well wishes. But uh, if you're listening to this, get on to Minor Wisdom Pod uh, or Minor Wisdom at, uh, on Twitter, get onto my Facebook, I've posted it a few times, get on there and purchase a shirt. Uh, most of the proceeds of that shirt go to the Parkinson's uh, Foundation, Michael J. Fox's Foundation. Uh, the other proceeds go to Custom Inc. for making the shirt. So uh, I'm not making any money off of this. This is simply for just raising money for Parkinson's disease. Those of you that donated over the amount of the cost of the shirt... I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I can't I can't thank you enough. I, I wish I could send you all like an edible arrangement or something like that or some sort of like Tiff's treats or something. But uh, the whole point is for me not to necessarily lose money and to raise money for Parkinson's. And so I, you know, I donated, but uh, obviously I, I've donated quite a few years. My father had Parkinson's and suffered from it. I don't know if I can say that he passed away from Parkinson's. Boy, this is taking a dark turn, but uh, he did pass away with Parkinson's. Uh, it might've been a contributing factor, but it definitely wasn't the only reason, but uh, he did suffer from it. But my dad also, just to give you a little insight into the craziness that is my family. Uh, first of all, my, my dad passed away just a few months after my mother. So uh, one of the things that happened at his funeral is uh, I got up um, after my sister nudged me and said, you have to speak at this funeral too. You spoke at mom's. And at my mom's, I prepared something really nice and beautiful. At my dad's, who I don't dislike, like I I grew up adoring my dad and thought the world of him, but I just didn't prepare anything. Um, And so I got up and I, I went up to the podium after my rabbi told both my sister and I that we were now orphans at the age of 23, 24, whatever I was. Uh, And I said, welcome back, everyone. And uh, it got a good laugh at a funeral. Uh, That's my, you know, way of kind of coping. But uh, the the part about my dad is that he liked to mess with 
kind of people so much, uh, especially when he started having uh, Parkinson's syndrome or Parkinson's symptoms, excuse me, uh, and he was shaking and stuff. He, he used to go to lunch with uh, people when he was still selling. He'd go to lunch with me as well, and he would order soup, uh, not because he necessarily wanted it, but because he thought it was just kind of funny that his hand would shake and he would get like barely anything into his mouth uh, whilst eating uh, the liquidy deliciousness, deliciousness that is soup. I kind of screwed that one up, didn't I? Anyway, uh, I want you to enjoy this podcast. Rachel Maddox is just a, a really fun person. And off the record, uh, we, before we started recording, she was like, I'm not funny. I'm very serious. And the way she delivered the line was very funny. And so I told her, girl, relax. This is going to be fun. Like, and, and it turned out uh, to be a great conversation. Again, I apologize for the sound issues. Um, it is what it is. It's because we were switching between going on my phone and not being on my phone. And it was just, it was kind of a mess, but thank you to Rachel for being a big time trooper, uh, and trusting me with this interview. Please follow me on Twitter at Mr. Blake minor, minor wisdom pod. If you want, um, friend me on Facebook. I've had again, quite a few, uh, make sure you leave a review of this podcast, preferably five stars, preferably, uh, but, uh, you know, be honest if you want to, uh, I hope everybody's having a good beginning of your April. Oh, another thing real fast, uh, on April 1st, I gave a fake quiz, uh, an April fool's joke quiz to the, some of my students and they ate it up. It was really funny. It was about radio history of radio. Uh, and it was like extremely hard. Um, and, uh, it didn't count. It didn't hurt them, but, uh, they appreciated it at first. Um, well, and at last, I guess, but they appreciated it. And, uh, so happy April fools to everybody. Uh, happy Easter to everybody. Happy end of Passover to everybody. And, uh, we're almost done with the school year, the worst school year ever. Uh, enjoy this interview with Rachel Maddox. Well, I can tell a little story to kind of get started Absolutely. about, um, how did I start in theater? Apparently my parents always knew that that was where I was going to go. From the time I saw my dad with a old time movie camera on the front walk as I was coming home, walking home from school. And apparently as soon as I saw the camera, I started parading and dancing down the sidewalk, performing for the camera. So apparently it's been in my DNA for a long time. And yes, my mother was a pianist or, you know, a music major and there's lots of that in the background. But then when I said I wanted to major in theater, um, my dad especially said, okay, great. I just want you to be able to take care of yourself if you need to. So, we want you to get a teaching certificate. And that that was probably wise advice, but my father was looking out for me in case, you know, I didn't get married or I couldn't provide for myself. He wanted me to take care of myself. And um, so I, you know, I, I graduated my BFA from the University of Texas and um, I went first to our Lady the Lake College because where I came from my mother wanted to make sure that I if I was I was looking at TCU and SMU and those and my mother said if you're going to go to a church school you're going to go to one of our church schools um, and she had gone to Salina Kansas so she was familiar with uh, the Catholic ed higher educational system so I did go there and I probably learned a lot in terms of I had a block knocked off my shoulder by this wonderful nun named Sister Mary Michael, who, and I probably did have too big of a chip on my shoulder thinking I was gonna be a big fish in a little pond. Um, and I wasn't a big fish, <laughs> I was a little fish, but I learned a lot from her because she did knock a bl that block off. So by the time I got to UT, my father had said, all right, if you still want to go to University of Texas, he was afraid to let his little girl go off. Then um, if you still want to at the end, you know, in your sophomore year at Our Lady of the Lake, then, then you can do it. And as soon as I found out, 
that I had the grades and I had applied for admission and that I all needed to do, I wasn't gonna get credit for my religion classes. Um, I dropped things like fourth year Spanish and advanced math because I didn't need them. I'd had, I had everything. So by the time I got to University of Texas, I could really focus on theater. And I graduated with 90 hours of undergraduate, 90 undergraduate hours in theater. And um, my, the, where this story is going is I didn't know that my parents had this kind of recognition of whatever direction I was gonna go in. So I was cast in Lady from the Sea and Fran Hodge was directing it and he is definitely a strong mentor of mine. And it was an honor and a privilege to go to the call board and see my name in a major production. So when my parents came to see me, I remember we were walking across the street from good old Hogg Auditorium. And I, was, I couldn't wait. Okay, well, what did you think? What did you think? And my dad says, what do you mean? What did we think? You were great. We expected you to be great. We knew all along. And I just remember my, my jaw dropping and my thinking, why didn't you tell me this 10 years ago? I might've had a lot more confidence or self-assurance, but maybe that was good because I had to do it by myself. I didn't have that parent empowerment. Oh yes, yes, you're, go you're gonna make it, you're talented, you're this or that. So it's like I had to prove it to myself. Um, so I'm, I'm glad for that. And that's my story about, okay, I good. If my parents think I'm good and, and if Fran Hodge thought enough of me to cast me in the yeah. show, wow, okay. So I do have to say that I had the best undergraduate experience at the University of Texas. And it was back in the day when, you know, people were saying, well, if you can't do it, teach it and all that. And I was part of a crowd that was saying, that ain't true. That ain't true. We're going to do it all. And you have to be able to do it in order to teach it. So, and, and my crowd at UT in theater education was very much that way. But I went to the chairman, Dr. Winship, and said, if you want me to teach this, and I went to um, David Nancaro in charge of lighting, who kept putting me on cruise. And I said, if you want me to go out there and teach this, you got to put me in charge instead of being a little girl on the light crew having to push the levers up and down. And he looked at me like, well, okay. So what I discovered is you have to speak up for yourself and you have to tell them what you want. And if you need this and you know that you need that. So what I got from Lauren Winship was when I said, okay, I'm getting a BFA, I'm getting it in theater ed, but I wanna act and dance my whole time here. So don't tell me that I can't take acting in my senior year and that I can't keep dancing in my senior year. So because I spoke up, that's how come I have so many hours, undergraduate hours is because even though I was uh, theater education, I got to take everything that I thought I needed to take in order to um, become a professional educator and a professional in however I wanted to go. So um, then that, I mean, so I am very, very, I feel like that the University of Texas really prepared me for life in the theater. And I did my teaching there. And of course, I, I, I think a lot of us may have graduated with what I call a graduate school syndrome, thinking that we know everything. And then you get out in the world and you start teaching and you realize, my God, I don't know anything. And you have to do it yourself. So my, but my student teaching experience was, was fine, um, was good actually in Austin. And I, but I didn't really, I mean, I was just doing all of this because that's what my degree required. Um, and then I graduate and think, and I have to have, have a job. So my first job was teaching um, sixth graders at Aldean Elementary School. And because I applied for it, I had gone to Europe um, before. I had been in a dance company there. It's called the, um, well, 
of some UT people that were in, it was in West Berlin at the time the wall was up. So I got to study at Mary Vigman Institute of Dance as a, an actress. Uh, my friends were studying as dancers, but because they were there, I got to go. I mean, I, I saved my money. Again, my dad says, just save enough money to get there and back and I'll take care of the rest. So I did, I went to work for Gulf Oil Company and worked in the steno pool and they kept wanting to advance me into some man's office because apparently I was kind of good, or at least I did my job. And so I kept having to invent reasons why I couldn't take a bigger job because I knew that as soon as I had enough money, I was leaving. So I didn't want to be deceptive um, to Gulf Oil Company. <laughs> So anyway, I saved enough money. I went to Europe. I was in the, I was I was in Berlin with with UT friends. Um, was in a dance company uh, there, and we traveled around air bases and community centers. And it was it was kind of dance drama, is what it was. And of course, I got to be the drama part. Um, <laughs> and then I came back, and I also got. Um, the, I got to go, I was at Ashland, Oregon Shakespeare Festival, and I had a small role there, I, um, actually get singing a, a little bit, and um, was in Shirley Dodge's company that performed, we, we were the dancers at the Ashland, Oregon Shakespeare Festival. So I feel like my, my background contained a lot of opportunity through University of Texas to develop skills and to dance, to act, to teach. So then by the time I'm back from Europe and I need a job, living back home with mom and dad, <laughs> um, I, that's how I got this job in Aldine. And I, um, we, we took the most magic carpet rides in geography. I was teaching things I had no idea about. So I got the lesson plans and curriculum from the chairman of the department, but we just took lots of carpet rides and magic trips so that I incorporated uh, drama into as much as I could. Fortunately, I didn't have to teach math. <laughs> so, um, and then I applied for a job at my alma mater, which was Spring Branch High School. And that was my first theater teaching job. And of course, it was back in the days when we were teaching speech and theater. Um, and I loved it. We had a great time. I had great students from there that I'm still friends with. And we competed against people like Cecil Pickett because um, he was at Bel Air at the time. And my very first show at there was um, a Commedia dell'arte show that right now I'm blank on. My mom helped design, I mean, helped me build costumes, but I went back to my theater training and designed the set. This was much simpler than it is today and designed the costumes and uh, hired people from U of H to come in and help my kids learn lighting and hang the lights for shows. Um, so I was there three years and the third year we went to state. It was Spring Branch High School's first trip to state with Mother Courage and her children. And we won the Samuel French Award. Um, and at one point during the rehearsals, I said, I think I've bitten off more than we can chew, but we gotta keep going guys. I was only about four years older than my students. <laughs> Um, but it was, it was an incredible experience. Um, I didn't do any of this. The principal rented the big trailblazer bus or, you know, to take us to Austin. I, I, I was so naive about everything. And by this time, Cecil was in, at HBU. And, and we go to Austin and outside the the performing arts, I mean, outside the Hog Auditorium, I meet Cecil and he's got, he's brought some of his students because he saw Mother Courage. We were no longer competing. He saw it. He wanted his kids to see it. And I was so flattered and so in awe 
of that kind of um, affirmation. And um, anyway, we were state champions. And I'm forgetting some of his students, but you know, Cecil had people like, well, again, I'm blank, but I maybe maybe the one of the Quades was in in that class. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Randy or, or the younger one. The, um, they all went yes. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so um, I'm sorry that I have I'm I'm blank on names right. right now, but these were people that went on that were paying honor to my students um, that, you know, I can look at and say, wow, thank you for, for letting me and letting us help you or teach you a little something. So then um, I ended up, let's see, oh, by then I was married. And as a matter of fact, um, James Pringle at UT Prop Shop Foreman, when we got there, he said, okay, we're going to have to disqualify you because I was about to deliver. Um, uh, it, we're going to have to disqualify, and jokingly, disqualify you because you might end up with another cast member while we're backstage here. So the pictures of receiving the, uh, the wonderful award, standing in front of our great wagon, which we built, um, shows me with really, you know, really very pregnant. And that's 1970. <laughs> so I discovered that people like J uh, Black, Dr. Black, who was, I think it. Dr. Black, yes, he had been our judge at the, at the state meeting. I think it was Baylor, I'm trying to remember that. Um, anyway, he ended up doing Brett, uh, Mother Courage, and I discovered later that the fact that a high school in Texas did so well with Bertolt Brecht and Mother Courage and her children, that started a trend in Texas colleges for, for okay, well, if a high school can do it, we for sure can do it. And that start, sort of started a trend, which again, uh, I learned a lot. Uh, I We really researched and I, uh, um, that just started us on, that started me, especially on when it comes to one act, I'm going to choose things that one, I think my kids can do for sure, but two, that challenged them and me. And I want to be taken to a different world myself as I research and investigate and uh, develop plans for a particular piece so that the kids, the, my students get involved in that too. And then as I evolved and ended up at Taylor High School for some 24 years as the theater director there and had great experience and great students, uh, again, going doing Caucasian Chalk Circle, uh, ending up at state with that. Uh, I think we were second place. And then um, a good woman of Setswan not good person at the time, it was good woman. And that was another state champion. So Taylor was at the state meet many times, but again, we were doing material that took us to another level in our academic research, in our emotional research, in our uh, challenging what our bodies could do, what our brains could do our skills could do. I had a, in Chalk Circle, I had a student write the music um, and I had announced to my, to my, um, it was a theater one class actually. And of course, in those classes, you have mixed students in all levels. And I said, is there anybody in here who's a, an, a musician and interested in um, writing music? And this guy raised his hand. So I said, all right, here. I have this play and I, we want original, we want music that we can do and you can perform live and um, read this. And I, I gave him material about Kurt Vile, who was one of Brecht's uh, composers. And I had done some research. So I said, read this, tell me what you think. I gave him a little bit of an idea of what I thought 
dissonant music was supposed to be and and Brechtian the the Brechtian approach the composer's approach to how they translated what Brecht was saying into music sure enough he was great he wrote this original music and he um continued that he did it he did it for chalk circle and he was one of my cast members so i had a keyboard on stage it was allowed at the time and once in a while this guard went over and played a chord or did something and i think that's i'm the first person that chat that made all those people start saying okay can't have that much music um, then he did the same thing. He did the same. Th I am the first. I know that's where the, the rule came from because after that we did good woman. We had, um, our opening sound were pots and pans and tins and rain sticks that he also, uh, composed that we we uh, supported with our live actors playing the bottom of a pan or something. So I don't know. I understand that every that started people. Kathy Hoover was contest manager one time, and and she came up to me and said, "Okay, there's been a challenge about your music. So do you know?" I said, "I know exactly how many." minutes I have or how many seconds every single thing here it is right here this was before we had to turn it in but that's what was happening is people were um, probably going overboard and but gosh you know we, we were challenged to do all we could to create the best um, world and so I, I'm, I'm just flattered that something like that happened and maybe I played a little part in triggering people's imaginations. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, you, you, um, were at Taylor for how long again? I know you said that. I was, I was going to say, I was at Taylor for 24 years and then I retired in 04 okay. and then Hempstead, um, Mark Piquel had just left and had gone to Austin and Tal Lestraco suggested that I just retired. So why doesn't Hempstead hire me um, just as a director to do the one act? So I did. Um, it was a great job. I got good money for going into a completely new environment that I loved. I had to prove myself. I had to prove that I wasn't some fancy white girl from Katy, um, rich person, you know, and I had to prove actually that I was on the kid's side and I wanted them to be their best. And I wanted to reach them as successfully as I could. So that happened. And I, they embraced me. Yeah. I loved working with them and with the challenges again. And so a school board member had come up and said, you know, we go to state a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I can't guarantee that we'll go to state, but what I can guarantee is that we'll try and we'll do our best. And these kids and I will give it our all. So we did, we chose, I chose, um, learned ladies and the kids were great. I had a great assistant and she was an assistant principal at the Hempstead Middle School and she was a great assist. She worked with Mark. So uh, I was honored to have her on my team. I probably didn't give her enough credit. So, so um, at, at the time, but she was good. And I was going to go backtrack a little bit and say, then after I got married and I had that child that I was pregnant with at, at a state in 70, when she was four, I decided I wanted a master's. And like lots of people, I wanted to go to Yale, but I couldn't be in Houston with a, 
with a small child and a husband, you know. So I went out to U of H and um, I am the first MFA graduate in directing from the University of Houston. Um, Sydney Berger created this program that was sort of adapt for me or for all of his students actually, but um, you were the guinea pig. I was the guinea yeah, pig. Yeah. So Sydney was a great mentor. And then Cecil Pickett again was now teaching acting. And I don't, you know, a lot of people that have, a lot of people, I love Cecil Pickett. He was a great mentor, but I was always in awe of him and I did not have enough, um, I don't know, uh, confidence to, become in in the inner circle. Gotcha. Right. But I feel like I did with Sydney, and it was Sydney who knew that I was very involved in things like um, open theater. I was interested in that. I was interested in all the experimenting that was going on in the 70s with voice and body. So he suggested there was a program at SMU um, for, it was a colloquium, a theater colloquium, and major directors from around the world, like Bill Ball, um, Gerald Friedman, Joe Anthony, those were three to name, Gaskell, William Gaskell, four. They came over a six weeks period, three of them came in for a week at a time, and the others came in for three or four days. So those of us that were participating in the colloquium watched these directors work, asked questions, socialized afterwards, um, and got to know them. So um, that became part of my master's thesis, to go to that colloquium, write about it, share that information with Sydney. And then when I got back, my actual thesis production was, I was allowed to do it with a company of uh, community theater actors. It was a very good community theater in Houston. It was called the Country Playhouse. So I designed this set and that was for Arch Andrus at U of H um, because that was part of my, my thesis. And I designed the costumes and I cast from the community theater actors. And then my class comes out to review it. And then we talk about it and so forth. And um, that's an example of how a, a mentor like Sidney Berger allowed one of his students, and I'm sure he allowed everyone, to find ways to fulfill the educational goals that he had for you um, in your community. And he was so good at, and so it was he that sent me, he said, oh, Joe, Ch Joe Chaikin was one of the guys that was going to be at um, SMU. And that's why Sydney said, Rachel, you're going to love this. I need you to go. So I got in. And so what that has to do, all of that, I'm just sharing because I was hungry for as much diversity in my education as I could get. So that it wasn't just movement. It wasn't just acting. It wasn't just teaching. It wasn't just directing. It was the whole ball game. And um, I feel like I got it. So then by the time I'm fully teaching in high school, and I really didn't think I would be at Taylor as long as I was, and the principal didn't either. <laughs> Uh, he told me after about a year, I didn't think you'd still be here, Rachel. And I was just trying it out because I was saying I have a young family and I have a husband and I know how it was when I was at Spring Branch. So I know what it requires. Uh, but let me give it a try. So I went in at January because they had uh, Taylor had lost their um, it was a new high school. So the person that opened the school with them decided she wanted to go back to junior high. So that left an opening. I interviewed for it, 
that's when Dr. I mean, Mr. McMain said, I didn't think he would last this long after, you know, 10 years or so. So that was me saying, okay, this is a great opportunity to see if I can manage it because I know what it takes, how much time it takes. And back that was, you know, we didn't leave at 3.30, as you know. We, that's when rehearsal started. So um, my family handled it. They were great. I got to give credit to them. Um, sometimes I think my children raised themselves, but their father was very instrumental. And also my son and daughter went on trips with us. Uh, my son, I had a babysitting crew. And um, <laughs> one time we had this thing, Aaron, get off the stage, Aaron, get off the stage because he would be up there running around. And um, one time my principal heard me saying that and he called me in the next day and was gonna scold me because there was a teenager around with that same name that sometimes was a little wild. And he thought when I was saying to my son to get off the stage that I was calling down this student who was nowhere to be seen. Well. That was not true. But, um, you know, we all find ways to manage. And I have been blessed with a husband that's been very supportive. And he was the one that would leave the office and go pick up the daughter from um, Theater Under the Stars and bring her home because I'm in rehearsal. And my kids are joking. Jay, they joke about it today. Feel Like, um, you know, where was mom? At rehearsal. Well, that's when I broke my arm. Where was mom? At rehearsal, which is pretty true. <laughs> but if they could survive without me, then a lot of times my students, um, I felt like sometimes my students needed me more. Right. I understand. Sometimes. That. Yeah. Are, are both yeah. your kids uh, theatrical? They are, but they don't know it. Um, <laughs> my, son, my son knows it. My daughter was in Theater Under the Stars. Um, she's... But no, she she was a dancer and a singer, and uh, but she did not continue with it. Um, my son did. He majored in theater at Ole Miss, but he's now a football coach okay. who is in the school musicals periodically. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's fun. So, yeah, and he helps them with, um, I mean, he, help, he teach, he kind of runs backstage sometimes right. when he's in a show and he helps the kids know how to behave and how to, um, kind of you respect know. it. Yeah. Yes. Right. Right. That's cool. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. So you mentioned that your mother was a piano player. Uh, do you, do you have music in your blood? I know you talked about dancing and acting and stuff, but do you still, do you have a musical side of you as well? Uh, when it comes to voice and or instrumentation? I think I do okay. in a in a small way, not nearly as 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 many people. I did I played the B flat clarinet. Okay. <laughs> I was in the band. Uh, so I learned how to read music for the B flat clarinet. Okay. <laughs> I always I always wanted to play the piano because that's what my mother did, but um they couldn't afford all, I mean, ballet and dance and piano and music and everything. So that's how come I ended up with the B flat clarinet. <laughs> um, I never was in a choir, but I was in musicals. Okay. Not big ones um, and not in high school. I was in musical, I in community theater. Um, and actually, TETA had summer workshops there at Sam Houston, and I was in two of those summer okay. musical shows, along with incredibly gifted other people. Um, I so yes, I have a music. I can hear. I've got a good ear. I can carry a tune. I can recognize when other people aren't. <laughs> I have directed musicals, but I really rely on the um, musical director right. to teach 
musical theater, the, the, vo the voice aspect and the music aspect of it. And then my job when I'm directing is to add the, the passion, I suppose, and to get out of the choir voice and into the musical theater voice, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, I get that. Uh, where the, so you also mentioned that you uh, have somewhat of a religious upbringing. And did that kind of sway the type of shows that you did as a child or as a, as a teenager? Uh, were there shows you avoided or was it just kind of fair game? Your parents understood it's theater. It's not necessarily quote real life. Um, well, when I was a child, um, I wasn't in much. I mean, I took elocution because my parent, my, this was in Arkansas and my parents were from Kansas and they hated the accent that I was developing, right. uh, which was to them very hickey sounding. So as a child, I was enrolled in elocution and I, and I spent a year, this wonderful lady tried to get me to say I instead of ah, and to develop vowels. I kept saying, well, I don't want to sound like a Yankee because the worst thing to, in the world to be in Arkansas at that time was a Yankee. So she said, you can have a nice Southern sound and it's an educated sound and I'm going to teach you how to do that. And, and you can still have an R in a word or I. So I'm going to get back to the answer to your question, but I'm saying that she spent a year getting me to say, take, say I, E, and then faster I, 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 and you'll drop the ah. So I've spent a year walking home in anger saying, I-E, I-E, I-E. Well, by the end of the year, I had lost that very deep, ah, I'm doing this. And so that that's basically all of the theater that I had as a child. I was in a play of hers. And then it's on to the clarinet or dance bird bath bird bath was the name of the play i played Velma sparrow and she murders her mother so my mother comes to see the show and she has a shocked expression on her face after now this is my mother who's pretty articulate and literate in terms of arts how could you play that role i said well i'm not thinking of you <laughs> I just, it's, you know, so we have a conversation about, no, I was not thinking about you at all. I don't know how I identified with her, but I just did and I can play the role. So that affected my mother. Then my father was somebody who, you know, Jane Fonda comes along and he boycotts her, her plays and her movies because of her political stance. Um, or I come home from college and there's a Barry Goldwater sign in the front yard. So we reach in terms, it has nothing to do with religion more than just philosophy of life and, and politics and things. So, um, uh, my parents were much less open-minded about things than I became. So did religion play a part in affecting my choices of plays? Um, I don't think so. Yeah. More than what affected my choice of plays is the statement of the play. Right. What the play is saying. And I'm the one that did rhymers <laughs> at, you know, at Taylor High School. Right. Oh, I'm the one that did Greece and, you know, because of the Baptist community, we really had to, I mean, Rizzo had a mysterious ailment. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and the preacher's son who objected to smoking a cigarette. I mean, we had conversations about, can't you go back to your Sunday school class right. and talk about what's bad about if you can't let them join them? Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, right. Yeah. I, I remember, you know, my time with Pam Wilson, um, she had some stories too about 
certain content of plays and things like that. But yeah, and it's you know. So speaking of Pam, it's funny you you mentioned that when you uh, started teaching at Spring Branch High School that you were kind of you kind of had this mentality of uh, once you got out of college, I know everything. Um, and it's funny you say that because I had that same feeling when I taught with Pam. And it wasn't until years later when I was alone and head of a department that I realized what Pam had taught me uh, and how mu- how little I knew before my experience with Pam Wilson. So, uh-huh. uh, you know, we have a very similar, I'm not saying Pam taught you that, but we have a very similar ideology as far as how we started education and then continued on in right. education. So I want to ask you some fun questions because I know Pam rather uh-huh. well. And I know you still, uh, you know, uh, do uh, hang out with hang out with Pam pretty much, as, as the kids say. So I know she likes wine, Rachel. Uh, <laughs> I've got I've got to know what is your favorite wine, because I I know Pam likes it, not to a, right. not to a detriment. She's not an alcoholic. I don't want to give that implication, but right, no. uh, she she loves a glass or two every once in a while, and. Um, uh, do you have a favorite wine? What is Rachel Maddox's favorite go-to? Well, you know, I like a lot of wine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's the problem. Right now, right, I'm not all at the same time. Right, right, right. No. <laughs> right now, my I'm liking Sauvignon Blancs. Okay. Um, not too dry. Right. Like a Chardonnay. I don't like it too oaky. Okay. Um, I like a Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir. I still like Merlot. Yeah. <laughs> although it's kind of, I like, I like a blend because I like it to be smooth. I have not, I think Pam is in a wine club. Yes. And as soon as COVID is over, I hope she'll invite me yeah. to one of her. Um, <laughs> I was invited once, but there was something going along. Last night I was out with friends here in, I'm in Fort Worth house, house and dog sitting for my son while they're on spring break. My husband and I are. Yeah. So I went out with um, my son's in-laws, my daughter-in-law's parents. Right. And I had a flight of white. Okay. Um, and so there was a Chardonnay, a Sauvignon Blanc, a something that I don't remember the name of, <laughs> and a Riesling. Yeah. So of the two, I, cho- I liked the Chardonnay and the Sauvignon Blanc better. I don't have a particular label right because i like so much yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sp- so speaking of that i know you've also taken a couple of vacations and you mentioned and i'm very interested in your time in berlin because i'm i'm a german jew so my family is from i mean my entire family's from germany uh uh-huh. and came over here during the war and so that that part of things aside are there any places you've gone that are just top notch that you recommend for other people to, to kind of see and do as a theater person, uh, not necessarily just, uh, you know, just going to Seattle just to try some coffee, not kind of, not that kind of thing, but, uh, are there theater places that you would highly recommend to somebody that's looking to travel as soon as we are allowed to again? Uh Well, the thing about, so sidebar, the thing to, before I answer the thing about, Berlin is it was West Berlin. The wall was up. I went into the East three times being warned at checkpoint Charlie to be sure to come back through this point, told not to go on one day because it was the day the wall went up and they were afraid we would be detained being told things like, um, don't we, we went, I went to Berliner ensemble several times. Um, so that was an experience. And, um, we were told if, if you are, there were very few places to eat out and they were like big cafeterias. So I went into one with my friend and we were told by the embassy not to, if somebody's, if somebody approaches you and asks anything at all about a passport, pretend like you don't understand. Do not even talk about it. And sure enough, the waitress um, start introduced a, introduced a, something about, passports. I didn't speak German as well as I understood it. Um, And something about passports. So we did pretend like we could not understand what she was saying. But that was 
a ploy to where the East German police could arrest you saying you were going to sell your passport because somebody had set you up. So um, I had that experience and I am not, my name is Zimmerman, my maiden name, but it is not Jewish. Um, but I um, loved being in Berlin. And when I was there, I, so I'm gonna say, yes, it is, it is a destination. I think you should go and study theater there. My family is also from Germany. Um, from North and South. So I felt like I needed to be there for more reasons than just um, to study. Right. I think um, London and the theater scene there is important to become familiar with, even though it's changed radically. I don't know what's gonna happen in New York. And, but I took students always, yeah. maybe once a year. Um, I have to say that I've really, I have a student in Seattle, but I have not been there. <laughs> okay. Um, so do I have destinations? You know, I what I think is what affects you, if you are open to it, open to being affected, you go to a national park, okay. you go camping, you go to Fort Worth, Texas. You go to the museum. You study the artwork. You walk along the Trinity uh, River and open yourself up to what's around you. I think that's theatrical. And I think that's what not only feeds your soul, but you know, you can see something under a bridge that makes you think of a pictograph or makes you think, I got to remember that image yeah. and I got to use it sometime. I go to the symphony and I hear music and it makes me start thinking about what show I could use it in. So theatrical influences are all around. If you go back to that graduate school, feeling of being open and alert to to the moment Minor.